all you people tan wearing yellow and white. <laughs> Blessings in the name of Jesus, but not, not so much from me. No. Um, I'm glad you're back. Uh, I hope the, those of you who drove, I hope the trip back wasn't too awful. I know sometimes it can just be gridlock. We've, we've, we've done that a couple of times, and I don't ever want to do it again. Uh, we're starting a new series now. Just so you know, we've got a couple of series coming up, and they're going to be short. You know, sometimes, like, we just did the Gospel According to Matthew, and that's a, that was a long time. That was from Christmas, actually, yeah, Christmas all the way through Easter. And we're, we're going to go into a few that are, you know, five, six, seven weeks. So we're, we're going to be in Hebrews 11, uh, and it, we're calling this the By Faith series. So um, I'll read you this so you, you, you get it. Uh, Hebrews 12 starts off like this. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And let us consider him who endured such hardship from sinful men so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. But that first verse in that passage says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that great cloud of witnesses is what's described to us in Romans 11, the, the saints that have gone before, the people that have, by, that God has said by their actions and their choices and their devotion to God, he credits to them faith or righteousness. So it tells us that by faith, and it starts at Abel. I mean, it's Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel, their two sons, and then it goes all the way through. I mean, you've got Samson, you, you've got them all. And we're not going to do them all, but this is a way for us to go back to some of those Old Testament stories that, that many of us are familiar with, but we don't really know. I know that when I came into the ministry uh, in, in this area in 1991 as a youth pastor at Hardaway Christian Reformed Church, it's a Christian Reformed Church, so a lot of those kids went to Christian school. And I found they were quoting or using, referencing stories, and I'm like... I don't think I've ever heard of that story. Uh, and so I started reading Genesis 1. And when I got to Numbers, it got pretty difficult. Just so you know, if you're starting at the beginning and you're going to the end, there's some books to wade through in there that are full of numbers. But I was able to, there's something some good about not having grown up in, in the church. And I'm not saying, I mean, my kids grew up in the church. That's the kind of testimony I want for them. But I got to look at those things with fresh eyes as a young adult. And, and, and some of these stories, some of these hardships, some of these the people that God calls, they're not the people I would have picked. And, 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 and they're not, there's nothing stellar about them until they have connection with and a call from God. So we're going we're gonna to read just today four, four verses in Hebrews 11, and we're going to jump back to, to Genesis chapter 4. Do you think that's, a, that's back in the sticky pages? But really, you go to the opening cover of your Bible, and you flip through a couple of pages, and you'll be at Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to read the story of Cain and Abel. Probably names that you've heard, names that you're familiar with, but you may not see what the difference is between one offering and the other. And I'm going to do my best today to communicate that to you and to challenge you with a few things. So Hebrews 11, 1 through 4 reads like this. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. 
By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen is not, was not made out of what, is, what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. Now, in order to understand this faith thing, and I know we talked about that last week, the different chairs, that, that if I sit in the chair that, 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 that it represents me and I know what God has done, I look over there, I know that he could support my weight, I know he could be God of my life, but I look at it and, and if it's not supporting my weight, if, it, if I haven't moved to his chair, that's a picture of belief. But there's a difference between belief and faith. And the scripture defines faith right here. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And I want to challenge that for a minute because it's one of those things that you might have um, cross-stitched in your bathroom. Or it might be over your kitchen sink. You know, some people stencil or it might be in your bedroom. It's kind of, it's one of those, one of those passages, love is patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't. We like that one. We like to, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. We like the ones um, where, where we're told about God's goodness and his mercy. And this is one of, faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. And it sounds pretty, but I want you to recognize, please, that faith, Faith and feeling are kind of in competition. If I feel faithful, there's really no faith involved. So if, if it seems that God is moving and that God has got me and that, that we're, in, we're, we're good, then there's no faith involved, really. There's just following after what I'm feeling. Because faith is being sure of what you hope for. That means it's not there. And certain of what you don't see, faith is comes into play when everything, all the evidence points away from doing what is obedient, what is faithful, what God would have us do. It, it, everything says, this isn't going to work out. This is going to hurt. This might come back to haunt me. Deciding then to do what God would have you do, that's when faith comes into play. Because faith is being sure of what you hope for and what you're not seeing. So keep that picture in mind. What you feel is different than who you are, whose you are, and how you behave. If I trust my emotions in my marriage, our relationship is going to be a roller coaster. If it, my feelings are not always, in fact, usually they're not trustworthy. They might give me an indication that there's something there that I need to look at. But what is trustworthy is what God wants and I have to decide daily whether it's going to be what I want or what he wants. Because faith is being sure of what you hope for. Not in what you're seeing. So we're told right there that, that we have to decide going in that, that God was the one that made everything. And I know, I, look, I, I, I read a lot. I watch a lot of... Critics of Christianity on, on YouTube, some of the new atheists, I, 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 just, I just eat all that stuff up. And I know that people keep trying to tell us that it's, it's foolishness to believe that there's a creator and a designer for the universe. But the more and more the astrophysicists and the astronomers look out back in time, the more they see the evidence that, that actually the designer, the creator, that there's a God, that there's something intelligent behind it. Those who look only at our own world, at biology and anthropology, they, they only see what, what God has already created so it doesn't look back. 
But the scripture right here tells us that by faith we accept that God made everything that is visible from things that were not yet seen. So he made something from nothing. And then the first, the author of Hebrews, the first person he brings up by faith, Abel. By faith, Abel. So what, what is that picture? What is that offering that he made? Him and his brother. And it reads like this. This is just uh, Genesis chapter 4, first several verses. says, Adam lay with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. He was the firstborn. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Now, I don't think he was born full grown. Because then she really needs God's help. Uh, uh, later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, I want to just—I want you to recall just a couple, of, just a chapter before, when the curse came onto humanity, and God said to to Eve, one of the consequences of her behavior was that her desire would be for her husband. Okay, that she'd always be drawn to him, and and in, in some ways, her her self image is going to be tied to her husband. That's a that, that's kind of hard. But also said that there will be great trial or pain in childbirth. So I think that one of the reasons that Eve says, with the Lord's help, I brought forth a man, is that she'd never experienced pain like Now, she had, she had experienced shame just days before, weeks before. I don't know how long it was. But when she realized that she was naked, she, she experienced shame and guilt when she separated from God. She, she separated in part from her husband. That relationship isn't the way it was. But I don't think that she had ever experienced pain, not scale of 1 to 10, 10 pain. Um, and, and I don't think that, that she knew there was, no, there, there was no suffering before this. So she cries out, and with the help of the Lord, I've given, I brought forth a man, and then she gave birth to Abel. And we don't know if there, some people argue, some theologians argue that they're twins, that, because it, it, it doesn't give two different birth stories. It just says this one, and then, and then there was another one. So they, maybe they're twins, maybe they're not. It, that's irrelevant. But now Abel kept flocks, so he was the first shepherd, tender of of domesticated animals in history. And, and, and Cain worked the soil. So the oldest son took the job of his father, which is natural. Remember when, when Adam was given dominion over the earth, but when he, he was told that he was going to have to till the earth and then it was going to fight back with thistles and weeds and those kind of things. So Cain becomes like his father. And in the course of time, Cain brought some fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And I just want you to know the, the word in, in Hebrew is hard to distinguish with offering and sacrifice. It, they, they, they've almost always mean the same thing. But I'm gonna, in a little while, I'm going to divide them up a little bit. You'll see what I mean. So he, uh, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil and offering, uh, as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Let me, let me, I'm reading a little loud. So I think, that the, I think that this is the tone the Lord was using. Then the Lord said to Cain, why, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what's right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, "Let's go out in the field." And while while they were out in the field, or while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, and this should be reminiscent 
of Genesis 3, when the Lord shows up in the garden and says, where are you? Why are you hiding? Because God knows. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know. Lie. Am I my brother's keeper? Just so you know, for future reference. Yes. Yes. See, here's what's happened. When, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, when they decided to say, my will, not yours, be done, they, they fractured the relationship between humanity and deity, between God and people. And they also fractured the relationship between husband and wife, and insti- something instituted by God. He wanted them to have that same kind of relationship with one another that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have with each other. And when they decided, not what, I, not what you want, God, but what I want, we know better than you, even that relationship got fractured. And the next time we see sin in the Bible, in all of history, it's not only between God and humanity. It's not only between husband and wife. It's now between brother and brother. So the whole of the family dynamic, the whole institution of the family, the way God intended to bless all of creation in this kind of a unit is fractured. One brother gets angry and jealous, and he murders his other brother. Now, I don't know how he did it. I assume he called him off, went off into the field, let's go hang out, let's go do whatever so mom and dad can't see, and he beat him over the head with a rock until he was dead. Now, I don't know, but we don't have any idea yet that they're working metals and swords and that kind of thing. We don't know if they have bows and arrows or anything like that yet. Now, Cain said to his brother Abel, and then he killed him, And the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and and, and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield, yield its crops for you, and you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And then Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me Notice it's, it's the Lord's fault now, right? You are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence and I will be a restless wandering on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of the Jordan. Now, we're talking about Abel, but most of this story seems to be about Cain. Cain decided to appease God. And God will not be appeased. Now, I don't know how all this worked. We do know that when... We do know that when God cast them out of the garden, that he posted angels at the gate so that humanity could no longer enter paradise because they spoiled it. So they don't have the walking, talking, knowing, and loving relationship in the cool of the day, every day with God that they used to have in paradise. But apparently, there's enough interaction with God that maybe he meets them at the, at the border of the garden regularly and has conversation with them. So they know, at least to some extent, what God's desire for them is. And one of the desires that God has is for them to be grat- uh, grateful to God for 
not destroying them, for not annihilating them, for being a loving God that says, okay, you get the consequences of your choices. However, I'm going to let the earth still produce. I'm going to put some in charge of this, some in charge of that. And you guys do your best to live the way I would have you live. It's a new perverted creation because of sin. But we're going to, I got a plan. So one of them tills the soil, one of them tends flocks. And one brother murders another brother. Why? Look at how off this is. He brings something to the Lord as an offering. So does the other brother. God says yes to one, no to the other. So because one brother doesn't get the attention of his heavenly father or his, or, or his God, he decides that it's his brother's fault. And so instead of owning his own stuff, because God was really gracious to him, he said, look, Cain, why are you upset? If you do what's right, we're good. But if you mess up, it will destroy you. And it didn't just destroy him, it actually destroyed the one who was faithful. So he, because he didn't get the attention from God that he wanted, he decided to kill his brother. What's that going to solve? Is he going to fix his relationship with the father? Is he going to fix his relationship with God? Is he going to make him more notable, more praiseworthy, more powerful? No, he got angry, he got bitter, and he got jealous, and he did, he did, he went to his base human desires. Now, there's some strange stuff going on here. I'm going to do my best to explain it to you. If you look at the text, it says this. In the course of time, Cain, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel brought portion, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now, there is no temple worship, no sacrificial system yet. We don't hear about that. The first time we really hear about that is with Abram, Abram in Genesis 15. But it really gets instituted uh, in the Mosaic law, in the Mosaic temple worship. So, uh, Here's this thing that somehow, some way, they know that God wants them to be grateful to God and to bring something that God has provided for them because God's the one who makes the, makes the plants grow. God's the one who makes a harvest capable. God's the one who makes one animal give birth to another animal. And so Cain, what he does, and I don't know what his motive is, and it's easy to caricature them that Cain's just a terrible person and Abel's this wonderful guy, but that, there's nothing like that in Scripture. Cain brought some of what the earth produced and brought it before God. I don't know if he dressed it up, if he put tulips in it, if he, I don't know if it's the right word, wove or weaved, but if he had a little basket that he put it in, that he, he had a little couple of gourds, you know, like we do in the fall, and we put it on and all this stuff kind of spills out on our, uh, just me, okay. I don't know. But I do know that the scripture would say if he brought the first, because it does say that about Abel. Abel, it says, brought fatty portions from the firstborn of his flock. Now think about this for a second. You're the first shepherd in all of history, and your animals begin to reproduce. That is everything to you. If, if I don't, if my animals don't reproduce, if this firstborn as it grows and it will produce more, which will grow and will produce more, all of my power, all of my notoriety, all of my wealth, all of my strength, providing for my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, all dependent on this firstborn. 
Because if the firstborn dies and, no, and they always die, then once these animals are gone, we die. Abel decides to take the very first, from the firstborn, the fat portions. And just so you know, in the sacrificial system, the burnt offerings, they used to burn the kidneys of the animal on the, burnt, on the, on the altar of, uh, the, where the flame was. The kidneys represented the will. And they used to take the, the back flanks, like a flank steak or, or the back straps on a deer, that's real fatty. And they would burn those because fat represented God's blessing and provision. So I am very blessed. But he brought the best, the first and the best to God. So what's the difference between the two? Abel is remembered as being someone who had faith in God because he adored God and he trusted God with his entire future by giving of the first fruits and the best. That which God had given him to provide for his family, he said, I trust you so much and love you so much, God, that I'm going to bring that to you because I know that if you can bless me with that one, you can bless me with another. So it's an act of trust when I hand this to you and say, this belongs to you. Abel took some of what he had and he brought it to the Lord kind of as a, okay, God, one was trying to appease God. The other was pleased with God. So I'm going to ask you this question. What does God get from you? Does he get your best because you trust him? Faith is being sure of what you hope for, not what you have. And what you don't see, not what you see. So you either trust God that he has your best in mind and he wants what's best for you, even when it looks like it might cost you, even when there's risk involved, do you give God your best and your first? Or do you, you give him some of what you got? And I'm not talking money. That's next week. Now you have your excuse not to come. I'm just talking, I'm talking about your will. See, there's this passage in Romans Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to approve, test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I got to tell you, for all the years I read this, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as living sacrifices. I hear sacrifice, 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 sacrifice. I don't even read the first part. In view of God's mercy, offer yourselves. See, what, what Cain did is he brought a sacrifice to God. What Abel did is he brought an offering to God. And all offerings have sacrifice, but not all sacrifices are offerings. God, time and time and time again, wants that temple worship and that sacrificial system is set up. He goes, you keep bringing me all these, these sacrifices. You think I need those? That's not what I'm after. I want your hearts. I want your will. I want your devotion, not for his sake. If you kill a cow and give it to God, does God need a dead cow? I mean, think about it for a second. Does God need a dead cow? He's God. He 
owns the cattle on a thousand hilltops, it says. If you bring to God your first fruits from your garden and you put it, you bring it down here and you put it right there, is God going to come down and eat that? Does God need sustenance? God doesn't need it. We need it. And God wants for us to recognize that all of those good things are only good things because he blesses them. Faith is being sure of what you hope for, that God is good, that God is merciful, that God loves you, that he wants what's best for you, that he wants to do through you, to you, and for you what is best, what will make you more holy and what will represent him better. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and you hope for God and sure of what you don't see. He's not in flesh and blood right now, but you, you do know Cain all right, God, whatever. <laughs> yeah, you're God. Abel, I'm willing to risk my entire future to say thank you to God. So what's the difference? One of them made an offering. The other offered a sacrifice. Think about David when he tried to buy the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. I know that's really familiar. David decided that he wanted to build a temple to the Lord because he and the Lord were friends. And he went to a ruin of the Jebusite in, in, to, to purchase the threshing floor, which is the same place where the temple was built, which is the same place where Abram offered up Isaac. And, and Aruna says, well, what, do you want? what do you want for? He says, it's for the Lord. I'm going to build him a temple. If it's for the Lord, just take it. I, says David, will not give to the Lord that which cost me nothing. Now, does God care how much it costs David? No. God wants to know what David's heart is. Is David willing to say, God, you gave everything for me. I'm willing to give everything for you. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't hold on to that, but took on the nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And he was obedient, obedient even to death on a cross. Therefore, God gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess, every knee will bend. Later in that same book in, in, in Philippians, it tells us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That is the, that is the will of God. And it was the same as it was for Abel and Cain. And one of them decided to look out for his own interests instead of his brothers. And the other decided to look out for God's interest instead of his own. And the one who said, God, your interests are more important than mine, your will over mine, we still remember thousands of years later as a man of faith. Anyone here name their first son Cain? Before I say what I'm going to say, just put your hand in the air if you have a son named Cain. It's kind of like naming him Lucifer, isn't it? What was Cain's sin besides murdering his brother? But what was the first one? He's trying to satisfy God. Why was Abel's sacrifice or offering received? Because he's grateful to God. He loves God. He adores God. And he trusts God with his future. So two questions for you. What are you giving to God? Your best and your first? 
or some of what you have. Second question, when you see God show favor to someone else, when you see him bless someone else richly, do you kind of think, well, why do they get that? I don't understand. I'm going to try to ruin I'm going to take them down. I'm going to make sure that they don't get any more. You've just become Cain. Or do you rejoice that God is so good and so merciful that he showers even more abundance onto somebody else? See, that's considering the needs of another before your own. It's considering the will of God over your own. It's saying, Lord, you know better than I do. And I trust you because I hope, I hope, I hope that you're good. And I see, don't see it all, but I've seen enough in the history, in your scriptures. I'm going to be certain. I'm going to behave as if I see it, even when I don't. So I know it seems like it's about money. It's about your heart. It's about your will. And it's about whether or not you see God as a God who must be appeased. Or if you see God who gave everything to win you. And what he wants in return is give him everything. Give him yourself. It's interesting to me that we love the fact that God is willing to give up everything to win you. To win me. But I'm only willing to give some to say thank you for giving everything for me. Faith is being sure of what you hope for. What do you hope for? It's being sure of what you don't see. What is it that God wants you to see even though it looks looks like it's not there right now? You think God's done with this world? You think God's done with you? If you think he is, you're Cain. If you think he's not, you're Abel. So follow God where God is leading. Don't ask God to follow you where you're going. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. You tell us right there in in Hebrews chapter 12 that for the joy set before you, you endured the cross, you scorned its shame, and you sat down at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Lord, we are the joy set before you. And we should be pleased with that. So pleased that we're willing to be grateful and to offer ourselves to you. So Lord, in view of your mercy, we offer ourselves to you as living sacrifices. This is our spiritual act of worship. And we hold you to what you say, that then we will know what your will is, your good, perfect, and pleasing will. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake, through the power of the Spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. We just got done with the book of the the gospel according to Matthew. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus says this. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Abel treasured God. His heart was with God. Cain treasured something else. And he's still wandering. Him and his descendants are still wandering today. They don't have an anchor. They don't have a place. They weren't really blessed by God because they chose self 
interest over God's interest. If God is your treasure, that's where your heart's going to be. That's the difference between faith and belief. Do you, are you certain of what you hope for and sure of what you don't see? I pray to God, truly, that he will reveal to you the places, the little segments of your heart, of your life, of your mind, of your, uh, of your property, where you're saying, eh, Lord, you can have some, but not my first and my best. And that he convicts you of it so that you can put your treasure in the one who will never disappoint. The Lord bless you. That means to say good things about you. Keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. That means to give you grace. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. That's a look on his face. God smile, God smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.